Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. No, you're not quirky, goth, or impressive if you were unbothered by the Dahmer series. And no, it isn't cute if you only wished it showed more gory detail. Seriously, it isn't some flex to lack empathy for people being brutally murdered. It's just wildly concerning. So to all the women out there raising their hands in solidarity of being unbothered, cut the I'm so special crap today. Dahmer primarily killed black gay men. So he would have to kill white women for you to care? How many until you get bothered, huh? How about get some help? This isn't about you. Thankfully, I'm not the only one infuriated by this. TikTok trends of primarily young white women saying they wish that Netflix's Dahmer series had been more graphic or morbid have been circulating and sparking conversations about the way we treat victims in the true crime genre. One creator has referred to the groups of people hanging on to gruesome details as vultures and ghouls of the true crime community that by and large is made up of people that are fascinated as to why people behave so inhumanely towards one another. And I agree with him. There is something so beyond off-putting to me to see a woman wearing Dahmer earrings begging for more morbid details about his murders. But the sensationalist, crass, commercial, and disturbingly casual attitude we have about true crime as a whole is one thing. The way that people become fans and groupies of serial killers is another. And expectedly, we've seen plenty of this behavior on TikTok. There are creators claiming they love Jeffrey Dahmer. And though many commenters call them out for it, other commenters state that they feel the same way too. Some have used clips from various Netflix series to make thirst traps of the most notorious killers out there to include Dahmer, Bundy, and Ramirez, AKA the Night Stalker. Sure, there is a chance that these creators are doing this for attention. And I would absolutely love to believe that the TikTok creators making shorts of themselves pretending to be little anime girls spelling out Ramirez's name for them to spell daddy or whatever are joking around. I hope beyond all hopes that whoever is behind this account that claims poor Richard Ramirez had been through so much in their comment section is a troll. And I really fucking pray that people agreeing with him, following them, whatever, calling Richard cute, that they're being sarcastic, but I'm not going to hold my breath. Now, even if these TikTokers are joking, it's not funny. Clearly, they don't realize how serious this topic is or more than likely, some of them just don't care. But hey, The reason so many people like true crime is to get behind the mind of someone that seems so distant and so removed from how we as a general society think. So then let's do that today with those who romanticize serial killers. Why does this happen in the first place? This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. 
by a killer who's become known as the Night Stalker, a killer who apparently struck again during the weekend. Have a more evil, but you'd never know it by looking at him. But when you hear him, that's another story. Or even at second glance, a man to shun. And that is the horror. As Lucky Severson reports, Ted Bundy was possessed by evil, but he was possessed, too, of a fatal charm. Hello, and welcome to an episode of Dark Dives. I'm the Illuminati, and though I'll probably take a look at the way we treat true crime sometime soon, today I want to focus on the lens of romanticizing serial killers. In order to do that, obviously, I wanted to get a feel for who does this and why. Now, words can't really express the posts I found and how upsetting they are. To start with, I found, and don't, you just, this was shocking to me, so this is gonna be shocking to you, I assume. I found a Robert Picton fan account on Tumblr called Picton's Babe, where one of the posts reads as follows. Robert Willie Picton is so underrated in the TCC, in my opinion. He is very handsome to me. I want to write letters to him with a little heart emoji. TCC, I assume, stands for True Crime Community. Now, Robert Picton has actually been mentioned on this channel before where I've discussed the Highway of Tears in Canada. He killed over 26 women on his pig farm and he's a brutal, disgusting monster. And this Tumblr user wants to send him little love letters. That was one of the first accounts I found, but there are many, many more where that came from. And it gets more disturbing and violent very quickly. Another account that goes by Nishi, they claim to be an 18 year old woman and she has consistently posted about Eric Harris, one of the participants of Columbine. And though he's a mass shooter and not a serial killer, though I think the two can be correlated quite easily, a lot of the fangirling and affection is quite similar in this domain too. While a lot of this Tumblr account is dedicated to him, his bio calling him cute, there's also straight up disturbing imagery related to killers and murderers too. There are photos of characters hanging themselves, anime girls saying they want to write letters in blood, wounds, violence, all of that crap. Other accounts in this community, this next one seemingly obsessed with Richard Ramirez, also have similar themes in their violent posts. A lot of them might seem like cringy, I'm 14 and this is deep content on the surface with edgy black and white aesthetic gifts, but it's the continuous love for such a dangerous murderer that pushes this into concerning territory. Sue Cotton Candy, though you might not guess with that username, is a Jeffrey Dahmer fan account that even gives followers tips on how to kin shift or mentally connect with Dahmer. They literally tell their audience that since you can't eat human flesh to connect with him, you should try to eat raw meat instead. The bloodier, the better. While this person is interested in being close to Dahmer, others act like they're interested in worshiping killers, praising what they've done. An account called Free the Maniacs has fan art of murderer Igor Sunrupyuk, a Ukrainian serial killer, and says that the only religion they're interested in is worshiping him. And as you can tell, there are obviously levels of extremes here, from calling serial killers cute, adorable, and pretty, to sexualizing and even wanting to worship them. There are some Tumblr users that seem self-aware they have a problem and claim that their interest in criminals has bled into real life, with them dating people who have threatened their lives. But a lot of the accounts I came across, and it's a disturbing amount really, don't really see this as an issue. I'm sure that at a glance, it might be easy to look at the posts and say, oh, these are just angsty, emotional teenagers venting. And to some extent, yeah, it does seem that way on the surface. Maybe this is just a phase they'll grow out of, right? 
But I think it's important not to dismiss this either. After all, the women that followed Charles Manson were young when they met him. Susan Atkins was a vulnerable, angry teenager when she claims Manson filled a void in her life. Plus, many of the killers being praised in these Tumblr posts prey on young women. So if those same women or girls are actively seeking out dangerous relationships, well, then you might be able to connect the dots as to why this may not be a good thing. To try and better understand what this is about and why anyone would actually put themselves in this position, I did some digging into the disorder of many of these Tumblr users and what they claim to have. It's something called hybristophilia. It's a term used as a tag in these posts and it's a central connecting theme. And it's also known as Bonnie and Clyde syndrome. Hybristophilia is defined as a quote, sexual paraphernalia in which an individual derives sexual arousal and pleasure from having a sexual partner who is known to have committed an outrage or crime such as rape, murder, or armed robbery. But why? Why would anyone behave this way? It sounds so ridiculous to us on the outside looking in, but there are a few commonalities. For the most part, yeah, Teenagers and young women with low self-esteem or a history of abuse are more vulnerable to becoming a hybristophile. Corey Vitello, an author on the topic, says that this isn't always the case. Many women may want to sublimate their violent tendencies by collaborating with a partner. There are plenty of other elements psychologists have speculated on. Maybe it's biological and based on a desire to have something forbidden or the biggest, loudest partner it's possible that all these things play a role really. Though in my personal opinion, it does feel like insecure teens and young adults make up a majority of these posts. So maybe that says something too. Plus, as we've seen, there are different levels to this condition. Some women send letters to a serial killer believing that they can fix them, while others with an aggressive form of hybristophilia may want to join in and participate in the crimes themselves. A lot more research on this disorder is obviously needed, but it's clear that this has existed long before the internet in different forms. It's not as if Tumblr created it, even if it's become a popular corner online for people to talk about these fantasies. But is this disorder an excuse for the disturbing romanticization of serial killers? And what real harm is being done here? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Did you do it? No. We've got a very disturbed, sick individual. You'll be the first nationally televised trial in history. You look nice, partner. I'm disguised as an attorney today. (laughs) I get very scared, but you know, he's also really dreamy. Let's talk about the fans of one of the most infamous serial killers, Ted Bundy. A few years back when Zac Efron played him in the Netflix series, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, people felt uncomfortable. His winking and upbeat rock music made the film feel like a rom-com at times, instead of, you know, a film about a murderer. Vanity Fair's chief critic, Richard Lawson, wrote that Efron's magnetism was, quote, a triumph of sorts for Efron. But it's also a bit of a problem. 
a further indictment of our serial killer sick culture that the film, directed by documentarian Joe Berlinger, doesn't reckon with enough. Director Berlinger insists that this is because Ted Bundy was charismatic. That's how he lured so many to their deaths. He was simply trying to portray that in the documentary. And I've heard this line of reasoning and we will hear it again today and I don't buy it. There's a line between playing a killer that was supposedly charming versus being flirty. And these shows seem to thrive off of blurring that line. According to Palatinate, the 2019 movie about Bundy was sexually charged, a tone that juxtaposes the horrific nature of his crimes. Shortly after the film's release, girls filmed themselves role-playing as a Bundy victim to post on TikTok, glorifying, normalizing, and romanticizing him. Why bother working so hard to paint a monster as charismatic anyway? It seems like a pretty odd priority to have. And aside from that, the idea of Bundy being some handsome, charming serial killer that used those qualities to his advantage has become a point of contention in recent years too. Instead, articles argue that it wasn't his looks that Bundy exploited, but how he acted as a chameleon. Bundy seemed to make those around him feel at ease, like he was one of them in order to get what he wanted. Rather than paint him as charming or charismatic, let's use a word less romantic, manipulative. However, Ted Bundy isn't a recent serial killer. His crimes took place primarily in the 1970s. So is it possible that this romanticization has simply gotten worse in recent years because of the documentaries and miniseries, or has it always been this way? Personally, I'd go with the latter. Even when these cases were new and the internet did not exist, the language around Bundy was concerning. Check out this article from the New York Times called All American Boy on Trial. The first paragraph is praising his looks, making it seem as if due to his appearance, people believed Bundy simply couldn't have committed these heinous murders. This is a long quote, but I guarantee that it is absolutely necessary to hear the entire thing. From the beginning, there was a basic contradiction in the strange case of Ted Bundy. The moment he stepped into the courtroom in Utah three years ago to answer a charge of kidnapping, those who saw him for the first time agreed with those who had known him for all of his 28 years there must have been some terrible mistake. Here was a young man who represented the best in America, not its worst. Some say that Ted Bundy is the most prolific mass murderer in American history. Bundy claims he is the tragic victim of a tangling web of circumstances. Here was this terrific looking man with light brown hair and blue eyes looking rather Kennedy-esque, dressed in a beige turtleneck and dark blue blazer, a smile turning the corners of his lean all-American face walking almost jauntily towards the judge, but free of any extravagant motion that could lead one to think a swaggering, even dangerous personality existed beneath that casual, cool exterior. And I know that that is a lengthy quote, believe me, but to open your article by saying how a serial killer seems to represent the best in America because of his appearance, because he's got brown hair and blue eyes, I mean, I had to read all of it so you could also hear this in this paragraph's entirety, just how ridiculous it was to write something like this. It's beyond disrespectful and tactless. I'm not sure I've got words to really put together for it. At least when we're talking about Ted Bundy's fans, they're individuals that need some serious help in addressing their own issues. When it comes to the New York Times, I'm not so sure what their excuse is. But speaking of Ted Bundy's fans, let's take a look at how they behaved when their love interest went to trial because it was an absolute train wreck. 
Every time he turns around, I kind of get that feeling, oh, no, no, you know, he's going to get me next. You know? But yet you're fascinated by him. Very, very. Every night when I go to bed, I just, you know, I get very scared. I shut my door and lock him, you know. I'm not afraid of him. He just doesn't look like the type to kill somebody. You try to imagine yourself in his place and to see how he's feeling, looking at the pillows with blood stains and everything, and if, if he really did it or not. The trial has drawn women from as far away as Seattle, where Bundy is suspected of other sex murders. Why is this happening? During the trial, not only did Bundy's groupies show up in support, but some of them literally dressed up to take on the appearance of his victims. As in, they parted their hair down the middle, wore hoop earrings, dyed their hair brown to match the hair color of the women he murdered. And I wish I was fucking joking, but I'm not. For those that couldn't make it in to support Bundy, they sent fan mail and even nude photographs desperate to hear back from him. And apparently it worked, at least for Carol Ann Boone. Carol, one of his biggest fans, took the stand during Bundy's trial. Bundy, representing himself, asked her if she wanted to marry him. She said yes. And because of some old law that allows for this, they were then married in the courthouse. I'm obviously not a doctor and I cannot and will not diagnose Carol, but I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if maybe she had hybristophilia either. But frankly, regardless of what disorder she may or may not have, holy shit, I would be pissed off if I was a family member of one of Bundy's victims in the courtroom that day. It made an absolute mockery of so many tragic deaths. The parents of Ted Bundy's victims have spoken out about his execution in the past, saying that he paid for what he did and they viewed him as a cancer that had to be removed. Dean Kent, the father of 17-year-old Deborah Kent, said that he believed he'd carry his bitterness with him to his grave. Many of these families lost loved ones way too soon. I can't imagine the depths of their sorrow. So for these groupies to fucking dress as their daughters in some sick attempt to win over Bundy, I mean, I don't think they should have been allowed into the courtroom. It shows their complete and utter disregard for anyone else's grieving at best, that's for sure. Yet there are people to this day that are obsessed with the serial killer. They've even put his name on panties and other merch and made fan accounts, but Ted Bundy is by no means the only one receiving this level of attention. We are all evil in some form or another. The world has been fed many lies about me. Since his arrival at the San Francisco jail, women from around the country, including one of the female jurors who had found him guilty in Los Angeles, have been flocking to the San Francisco facility, even fighting with each other over Richard's affections. I have friends. That is all I care to say, really. They are open-minded. Richard Ramirez has also received obnoxious amounts of support from fans. You've seen the fan accounts, I'm sure, but this bled into real life too. In court, one reporter recalls the entire back row was filled with goth girls in black leather dresses and chains that were all there to support him. Some of these groupies even sent him photos of their feet as Ramirez claimed to have had a foot fetish. And his defense attorney claims that one even went so far as to ask Ramirez for his semen so that she could have his baby. If you're eating, my sincerest apologies for that bit of information. Again, I really, really don't think they should have been allowed into the courtroom for the respect of the victim's families. Unfortunately, Richard's groupies went beyond observers. One of the jurors in his trial claimed that she fell in love with him. Ramirez even flirted with the juror, Cindy, and blew her kisses. In return, she baked him a cupcake topped with the words, I love you, 
and referred to killing as just his job. Apparently, while Cindy knew that she could have caused a hung jury, she ultimately decided to convict him because he was without a doubt guilty. It baffles me, but at the same time, proves that some of these fans and groupies know the subject of their affection is a killer. They just don't really care about that fact. It's not as if they're just falling for some pretty faced bad boy. Cindy was a juror in this case. She knew everything and it didn't deter her affection. Another woman, Doreen Leoy, pursued Richard, sending him about 75 letters in 11 years. They eventually married, though in the few years before Ramirez's death, they stopped speaking. It's not clear why this is, but some speculate it's because she wanted children. Others say it was the evidence Ramirez killed a nine-year-old child, apparently was a boundary for her, or his health problems were the driving factors. I have no idea why, and frankly, don't know, don't care. Whatever the case may be, he's had fans in life and death. The same could also be said for those who fangirl over Jeffrey Dahmer. In 1992, AP reported that teenagers waited for admission into the courtroom, fully aware that they may hear about necrophilia, mutilation, and cannibalism, all for an autograph. High school students literally skipped school to see the court case, talking about it as if they were thrill-seeking. One of the teens told reporters, we just want to see him. We want to get his autograph if they will let us. That would be cool to have Jeffrey Dahmer's autograph because he's a killer. Their tones and attitudes seem less loving and more as if they want to go poke a dangerous animal in a zoo. Though honestly, neither is a good option. For Dahmer, his trial allegedly had the air of a movie premiere, complete with those groupies, with Dahmer himself being a celebrity, movie star, whatever. To this day, and to a different extent, Dahmer is now a movie star. It's just meat. I'm not eating that. Try to do a nice thing, you know? You're just like my mom. Some of you listening to this may even be aware of the recent controversies with the show Dahmer starring Evan Peters. With a whole new slew of footage, it's led to these thirst traps to hundreds of accounts saying they feel sorry for Dahmer and threads literally, quote, lusting after Dahmer's mugshot. There are plenty of other things wrong with this docu-series, like how none of the victims' families were contacted, but we'll focus on the romanticization problems instead of the true crime ones. The thing is, I'm not against Netflix making series about serial killers as a whole. Bundy, Ramirez, and Dahmer have all had their own shows in some attempt to dive into the mind of a murderer and understand why they committed such horrific crimes. Plenty of people do have a morbid curiosity, and I wouldn't say that that's inherently a bad thing. However, casting handsome Hollywood stars, making trailers reminiscent of rom-coms, and not talking to the victims' families at all, well, that's when we start crossing some lines. Collider argues that casting Evan Peters was a calculatedly creepy decision on part of the Dahmer series. Peters, as a handsome and charming actor, was perfect for the role, as he can portray the way that Dahmer won over his victims. And to some extent, yeah, you do want an actor to be able to play the part of a manipulator. Yes, absolutely. But why take so much time to humanize this serial killer, to make him appear attractive, and especially after all the horrible things that they've done? Bundy, Dahmer, Ramirez, plenty would argue that they simply don't deserve to be humanized, and I kind of agree. As Hello Magazine quotes, we don't need to humanize a disgusting man, and we don't need to re-traumatize those affected by his actions. 
maybe filmmakers and documentarians should focus less on the serial killer's charisma and more on the lives that were lost. Romanticizing may exist with or without these Netflix shows, but when casting attractive actors and instructing them to be alluring, directors are only exacerbating the problem. One article from The Platinate argues that these decisions are made to consciously exploit hybristophilia itself and that Hollywood is more than aware of that when they're doing these movies. They say, actors such as Matt Damon, Jamie Dorian, and Leonardo DiCaprio have all been cast to fulfill roles that are part of the hot serial killer trope that is so popular. Their performances are powerful and provocative, but they should be making our skin crawl rather than ignite some sadistic sexual spark. Too bad it feels like this hot, charming serial killer mindset has become ingrained in so many of us. But aside from minimizing victims' pain and giving a not so subtle wink to hybristophilia, what's the real problem here with the way individuals and Hollywood romanticize serial killers? Who gets hurt in the end? Well, everyone does. Regular exposure to violence makes it less likely to provoke an emotional response, according to writer Alice Standen. And no, I don't mean in the way that, oh, violent video games turn kids violent or anything. This is specifically related to true crime, not fantasy. But when you focus on giving a serial killer empathy, portraying them as just a bad boy or someone who's just had a tough life, it's normalizing the horrific crimes they've committed. And this is really one of the last things someone with hybristophilia probably needs. I don't want to paint everyone with the same brush here, and I am aware that more research is needed. But if self-consciousness and abuse are common factors among those that glorify and romanticize serial killers, then they don't need more reason to dismiss abusive behavior around them. When we minimize and romanticize horrific acts and make the murderers so attractive and appealing, it's potentially telling people in this dark place that they just need to change the person they're with that the abuse they're suffering isn't that bad. We've seen the same thing in fictitious programs like You, where the serial killer is just trying to find love and appears as an empathetic figure the audience can relate to. Like, I'm sorry, but if you find yourself relating to and wanting to be with an actual serial killer, then please look inward and seek help. Raise your own standards for God's sake. It's normal to be empathetic, to want to help someone who is so clearly hurting and lost but empathy for killers can lead to justifying their actions and to explaining them away. And frankly, it's not anyone's place to try and justify what a serial killer has done. That robs victims and their families of their voices, of their grief. And when a fan says, oh, Bundy didn't mean to kill or he just couldn't help it, it's wrong. And it takes away the voices that were taken away by those serial killers. What about those people? They don't have lives anymore. They can't speak anymore. They can't have a future, they can't have a family, they can't have a fulfilling career or life because it was taken from them. And then to romanticize these people to the point of going, well, they just didn't mean it, that's wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Seriously, serial killers should not be relatable. And yes, I understand that many in true crime are fascinated by how and why extremely violent people act the way they do, that's one thing. But let's not humanize these inhuman monsters to the point where they're making fucking thirst traps either. Like, I can't believe that's a sentence I had to say. Can we not make thirst traps about serial killers? Is that an okay thing society-wise that we can agree on? Stop doing this shit. 
But with all of that being said, that is where I'm going to end today's episode of Dark Dives. I hope you learned something new here today. And if you did, make sure that you're liking, following, and subscribing to stay up to date on all the latest episodes. And to everyone who made it towards the end, sorry if I'm a little opinionated at the end. It just is something that absolutely drives me mad to see this happening. I just, I just wonder how disconnected someone has to be to make thirst traps for Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy or whoever the hell. Like it's just, it blows my mind in all the wrong ways. So thanks so much for making it to the end of the episode. I appreciate it. And I'll see you in the next one. Bye.